Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darity here today with John Daigle, Kyle Dvorak, and Patrick Corain, where we will be previewing Thursday night football and some of Week Eight's biggest games. That includes the Bucks at the Saints, the Colts hosting the Titans, and many more. We'll be graced with Crane's stats of the week. He actually couldn't decide. He was so excited. There's apparently a very provocative Bucks stat and a stunning, just absolutely stunning Justin Fields stat. And we will try to dive. Down. Yeah, we will dive into every fantasy relevant player, as we do every week. I don't really. I didn't have. I don't have a question off the jump because I think we're John said we're already in like energy conservation mode before the show started. He was sitting. I thought his <laughs> camera had frozen because he was so still. But he said he was just gathering his strength for the second half of the season. So how are you yeah. doing, Diggle? The glass half full individuals will tell you we are almost halfway. Um, the glass empty individuals like myself will tell you we're not halfway yet. That's that's what yeah, I'm trying to. We're not even. We're eight right and now. ten. We're right now. We're we're Jeff Fisher, and now we're eight and ten. Eight with ten to go. I think we're I had just... a bid life crisis whenever Alan Lazard got ruled out yesterday. Uh, <laughs> mid waiver column, trying to get updates going, <laughs> and just knowing that you have to change everything, your approach to everything, basically uh, for this one situation. But that's the way it's going to be from moving forward. So it's okay. We're well, going to get through. We're going to win. I may have you one up there, uh, Daigle, because I write a column that that I try to get up Friday morning, and mm-hmm. you know usually I get it up at at twelve fifty nine, and then I start my my new shift at one p.m. And then everything I wrote gets changed by the Friday injury reports that I have to blurb and then go back and fix in my article. Well, I might I, have one up you guys all because I actually just write an Alan Lazard fan page. And it was a just a truly <laughs> awful day for me. I, I was excited. I tell you what, my Alan Lazard fan page was getting more clicks than it ever had because starting wide receiver one Alan Lazard and it all came crashing down. Do you think there is a Alan Lazard Reddit, a subreddit somewhere? <laughs> Yes, there has to be. And uh, Kyle, is is your Alan Lazard fan page, is it like CalicoCutPants.com? Is it totally uh, reader-funded? If you don't know it, CalicoPants.com uh, is look it up after the show, uh, listeners. It's, it's, just a, it's just a bunch of Iowa State fans just getting on a blog. You do have to. I thought for sure you were just trying to get my computer a virus. You got to give. <laughs> you got to give if you want to be a member of the Lazard fan page. So just remember that. You got to give. Uh, Dangle, I I think Dangle takes the cake over you guy. I mean, that, that's a soul breaker when the article goes live. And was he literally the cover boy of the article? Uh, he was the social media boy. So yes. then, of course, 
all the all the boys that see it six hours down the road jump on and say, uh, "Oh, I can't believe you had." Can't wait for my league mix to pick them up. Yeah, we're at the point now where also helpful. comments are just aggravating yeah. me as well. Just people are just tweeting at you like you're an absolute moron for not knowing that Alan Lazard is going to get coronavirus. It may, it may take picking up your laptop and uh, going to a nearby steak joint and um, sitting at the bar with old fashions and writing over that to calm <laughs> yourself. But nonetheless, we get through it. We'll continue on. We will get through it. And as of this recording on Wednesday afternoon, no other Packers wide receivers have yet caught the novel coronavirus, mm-hmm. SARS-CoV-2. We hope that remains the case going into Thursday night football or we begin, you know, in Arizona where the receiver desperate Packers will be arriving as roughly touchdown underdogs. Devonte Adams on the COVID list, Alan Lazard on the COVID list. Daigle, is this the week the Packers finally commit to their running game? And kind of what is our concern level with Aaron Jones's recent production? I don't know if they commit to the running game so much, but Aaron Jones, if you told me to rank who I am most confident in in this game, it's certainly him. Just knowing that we are fresh off a contest as well where A.J. Dillon handled a season low 25% of the team's backfield carries overall. And also, as the fallout continues among the Packers wide receivers, uh, sounds like as of Wednesday afternoon at the time of this recording, it's going to be Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, and Equinemia St. Brown in three wide sets with Jawan Renfrey and Malik Taylor coming off the bench. That tells me that a majority of the targets still go to uh, Aaron Jones. There you go. Um, Aaron Jones, guy. who has had at least four targets in all four games over the last month. And so I'm actually most confident in him among this entire offense. Before anyone else, I'm confident in the Aaron Jones targets, but I mean, I'm also just confident in Aaron Jones on the ground because the Cardinals allow over five yards per carry. They're somehow bottom three and passing yards against, even though they're seven and zero, playing with a lead a lot. And so, you know, teams are throwing against them a lot. So like, that's a really, really impressive stat for the card. They're only allowing 200 passing yards per game. Uh, again, if you're seven and zero and you're bottom three and pass yards against, that's pretty eyebrow raising stat. So it could be weak. Aaron Jones just gets firing on all cylinders. Uh, anybody have any any other Aaron Jones takes? I'll just mention he played seventy yeah, percent of snaps last week, which is you know yeah, an improvement but, from where he was a few weeks ago. I was going to say basically the same thing. Is like his volume really isn't being cut into that much. It's mostly just buoyed by last week. Washington played one of the closest blowout losses you'll ever see because they kept getting into the red zone and just completely fumbling the bag. So the game was actually much more competitive than you would have guessed looking at the score line, and that resulted in the team overall just not having a good performance on the ground. You just can't afford to that much. In weeks one through three, Aaron Jones averaging nearly 16 expected fantasy points rushing plus receiving per game. That's dropped about three points since then. I think that uh, you know that's within like a standard EV. And that's not that big of a deal. So, Daigle, you're talking about you have trust in Aaron Jones' targets. I mean, are you guessing on any of these other Packers wide receivers, or is it is it not worth guessing on Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, et cetera? I mean, what's MVS maybe coming back? We don't know for sure on MVS yet. Yeah, MVS, there is one, literally one report that's saying he's going to play. Uh, no other Packers beat writers that I trust tailed this one report. So I'm still skeptical. Also, I do wonder if they are forcing a speed guy with a soft tissue injury back too quick just because of the lack of viable bodies available on Thursday night. So I am worried about MBS. If you read the waiver column from um, Tuesday, also we have high stakes pickups on Wednesday. It's good to go as well for that. Then you will see that I actually ranked them in the column in Randall Cobb's blurb as among free agents, among possible free agents in your league, Robert Tunyon, and then Randall Cobb, 
Equinemy St. Brown, MVS, um, and then from there, Amari Rogers. Is anybody going down the Big Bob Tunyon road this week? Anyone on the show? Is he is he back? He scored. You know, so he's back, right? He scored. He still wasn't targeted at that high of a rate. Um, his highest target per route run all season is 15%. That was back in week four, which is also his highest route rate of 84% of dropbacks. I think he could be around that 80 to 85% range again this week. And maybe he tops his 15% target per route run this week because they just don't really have anyone else to throw to. So he's still he's definitely like in play. But last week wasn't all that bullish, um, even though he did score. And he's still kind of the, the same thin option. A little bit better than we thought maybe last week, given the available targets, but still not ideal. I, I would also say, like, if you're looking for ceiling, MVS is a little interesting. Yes. Targeted on 19% of his routes this year with a 21.6 ADOT. So he's the type of guy, like, maybe he only plays 60% of the snaps, but he can get there on a couple deep shots. And there's really not anyone else who can do that for the Packers this week with both Lazard and Adams out. It's not really Cobb's role. I don't think Equinemius St. Brown is really up to the job. So if they play it smart, if they kind of pick their spots with MVS, I think he could actually have a, a decent game. Well, in MVS, you mentioned like the target. He isn't, he's the kind of guy he, on a 10% target share. I mean, he can flip a fantasy slate on two or three targets, two or three catches. You know, one of them is a 60-yard touchdown. So he is intriguing always from that perspective. And Big Bob, by the way, so, I mean, I was joking about Big Bob being back. But if you're going to points chase with Tunyon, this is the week to do it. And if he doesn't get the point, I mean, then it's pretty much over for Tunyon this year. I mean, if he can't do anything in this game, right? I mean, because Dangle, you already had him on the drop list, right? Uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and um, which is fine. Uh, and then last week, what we've seen the past two weeks, Crane and I talked about this on the recap and waiver show, that Devontae Adams weeks two through five, 13 and a half targets per game, 39.8% target share. What we have seen is that, Clearly not sustainable, but a bigger drop off than I expected, honestly, with just six targets per game and a 20% target share over the last two weeks. And so that has allowed Tunyon, for instance, the past two games to average a 14% target share because the targets are being more dispersed. And now that we're taking all those targets from Adams and Lazard, who had seen at least a 17% target share in his past two weeks with more dispersed targets as well, out of the lineup altogether, that does lead, in my opinion, for more opportunity for Tunyon. Also, for the Cardinals, like I've seen a lot of stats citing that the Cardinals have been the number one defense to get in supposing tight ends. That is true, but also we do not expect Anthony Ferkser, Tyler Conklin, Jacob Hollister, <laughs> Ross Dwelly, the Browns machination, and Jordan Akins to spike production against the Cardinals. Tyler Higby also sprinkling in there. That's clearly the best option they've played literally all year long. So not worried about the Cardinals defense against tight ends. You don't speak for Denny, okay? Uh, you don't speak for Denny about those tight ends. He he I, thinks those tight ends are all great. I would say on the on the Cardinals defense, they're a a big run funnel to and to kind of echo the points you're making, Pat, about this, the the uh, the passing game stats. So I think to Dago's point, don't apply that concern to the tight end position specifically. It's more that you know there could be some issues with the overall passing offense, and maybe they do kind of flow through Aaron Jones. We know that the the Packers generally play slow. They could play slow and run heavy in this one. We are hoping to see like the Saints have done with Kamara the past two games and just saying, we can't go anywhere else. We have to feature this one stud running back. And uh, we're hoping they get there with Aaron Jones. Maybe with the Cardinals and tight ends, though, it's the fifth time was the charm with a first round tweener who between safety and linebacker and the most recent ones is actually good. 
and maybe now that it, it finally worked out. You stick with the process if you're the Cardinals. Kyle, on the other side of the ball, I mean, is it time we adjust DeAndre Hopkins out of the top 12? Zero 100-yard games, I mean, zero 10-target performances where – if you had told us before the season going into the midway point of the year, DeAndre Hopkins would have zero 10 target performances. I mean, you'd probably about fall out of your chair. He's 26th in overall yards at 420. Just, what, what are we seeing? Is, is this just too spread out, too deep of an offense? The quarterback just running too hot to lock on to any one guy. And is DeAndre Hopkins still a wide receiver one? Yeah, so the volume is undoubtedly down versus previous years. This is like uh, dating back to 2015, like the air yards data I could find dating back to 2015, lowest target share, and I'm going to assume with that along the lowest air yard share as well. He's definitely not DeAndre Hopkins of old, and it might just be offensive depth. This is one of the first times he's really played with such a, a deep trio of receivers behind him. He's hardly even played with like a deep one behind him, let alone three guys. Now a pretty decent tight end, I'd say still not great, but good enough to draw targets and a really good pass catching running back. So I don't think it should come as an awful surprise. Maybe this is a bit lower than expected, but I don't think it should come as an awful surprise that his overall volume is down. The one reason I still hesitate to take him out of the the wide receiver one category is he's tied fourth in red zone targets at 11. He's tied for second in end zone targets. And it's really hard to do both of those because those are two very different skill sets. Red zone targets are those short to intermediate targets that your team looks to when they're trying to punch in a touchdown. And end zone targets are typically your Mike Williams. It's the deep targets where you get into the end zone from 30 yards out. Only him and Stephon Diggs are top 10 in both of those categories. He has so much touchdown equity that given his talent, given his touchdown equity, I don't want to say I'm overlooking. I'm overlooking his uh you know his lack of volume but it's still enough to keep him in that 9 10 11 range enough for me he's not top five anymore but still wide receiver one seems like a, a bar he can clear converting eight of those in converting six of those league high eight end zone targets into touchdowns is an insane and unsustainable rate while not having seen double digit targets in any performance thus far i will say if you want to make a bull case for him it's pretty easy since the Cardinals have run a league high 268 plays with a two score lead. And so we really haven't seen a competitive game script for the Cardinals just yet. So when and if that happens, we would assume a higher target share and more passing volume altogether. But for me, it is still given the number of viable bodies to feed. We know even in adding Zachert, that was someone who was going to take away targets underneath. Did not expect him to run, you know, 47 yards after the catch, but knew he was going to see a few targets. That also takes away from Hopkins. So I'm still confident in low end wide receiver one. But as you said, top six. Yeah, I think those days are done. I honestly would say he's not a wide receiver one right now. I mean, especially if you just look at this week, like, do we expect it to be that competitive with all of the Packers wide receivers out? I mean, they're six and a half point favorites. And the thing with, with Hopkins, in addition to the touchdown numbers that you guys are saying, and he's running hot there, his yards per target is fine. He has a 9.5 yards per target. That's basically exactly what you would expect given his dot. So it really does just come down to targets. He's not getting the targets. I mean... He's still like probably a high-end wide receiver too, but he's got a 1.7 yards per route run. It's his lowest since 2016. This is this is concerning at this point. I I would say like, yeah, he's probably out of the wide receiver one ranks for me. I just wonder if he's physically slowing down. I keep broken recording myself and everybody, and it's kind of hard to spot when you watch him on Sundays. But I mean, you guys. So you mentioned Zach Ertz. They were already this tight end position was already getting targets in Arizona, surprisingly so. With Max Williams now, you know, it's midseason, so that's difficult to integrate into an offense. But Zach Ertz is probably still going to be more well-regarded by the Cardinals coaching staff than Max Williams. He's probably going to be, 
you know, prior targets can be prioritized more for him than maybe Max Williams. And I mean, is Zach Ertz a tight end one in Arizona? Who wants to take a crack at this one? We didn't really see his role change as the issue. Um, 17% target share with the Cardinals, but more importantly, with the Eagles, he had run a route on 55% of Jalen Hurts' dropbacks this year and was very much the same, 54% with the Cardinals. So I think it's going to be more whack-a-mole performances, like a lot of tight ends we play anyhow. Uh, so I would say low-end tight end one, if you want to be bullish on it, but I think it's going to be closer to a fringe tight end one, someone we just stick out there and hope for the best for a touchdown. Any other thoughts on the Cardinals pass catchers? Is this just the status quo with Christian Kirk and A.J. Green and they're canceling each other out with five to six weekly targets? Uh, anything separating these guys right now? I mean, I don't have too much to say on it. I think Christian Kirk is kind of quietly starting to look somewhat reliable, you know, as far as reliable gets uh, on this offense. Um, playing with big leads and not throwing as much as we'd like. But he has a 20% target per outrun this year. He was running like really, really hot on yards per target at one point this year. He's cooled off a bit, but he still has a 2.24 yards per outrun, and he's running 89% of his routes from the slot. So that really kind of the role we've been hoping for for years for Kirk yes. and just being in the slot for a ton of, uh, ton of snaps, that's finally materialized. It's always a bit under threat with Rondell Moore, but – he is clearly ahead of more right now. Um, so I, I think he's probably the most, like, he's probably the highest floor option, even including Hopkins, because with Hopkins, it's, it's going to be kind of touchdown or bust. So I've been projecting Christian Kirk to be an every week wide receiver three since Bill Clinton was president. So maybe we'll finally get there this this year with Christian Kirk. Next, we have the Saints hosting the Bucks as five-point home underdogs, and I'm just, what I'm really wondering with this game, uh, go to Ukraine. Will the Saints actually let Jameis Winston cut it loose against this Bucks pass funnel defense? Are they going to try to play it safe, you know, avoid an overly emotional, turnover-prone, you know, Jameis revenge game against this former team? Yeah, so for reference here, the Buccaneers lead the league with a 10% pass rate over expected. So 10% is really high. That's NFL leading. The Buccaneers' opponents – have a 13% pass rate over expected. So the most pass-heavy team in the league is what, whichever team is playing the Buccaneers. And to to talk about Jameis, how they're going to approach this, the Saints, they're 29th in the league with a minus 5% pass rate over expected. So very run-heavy team. But they have faced the second biggest run funnel in the league in Washington. When they did, they had an 11% pass rate over expected. Again, that's higher than the Bucks have this year. So they went full-blown pass-heavy. When they got a run funnel, every single Bucks opponent has been pass heavy this season. Six of seven have gone more more pass heavy than their season long pass rate over expected rates. The Buccaneers are a true pass funnel. We already have one game that tells us that that the Saints are willing to take advantage of matchups like these. I think they probably will let Jameis sling it. And the Washington example I think is even more bullish than you know if we had gotten this game first and they've been pass heavy because. With Washington, they didn't necessarily like have to be pass-heavy, and I think the Buccaneers are going to be pushing the Saints in this game and kind of forcing the issue. So I actually do expect them to be pass-heavy and uh, almost kind of whether they want to or not. And we've seen that the past two weeks, um, 
32 or past two games for the Saints, 32 and a half past tens per game. Also, James Winston adding a rushing floor as well in that span now that he has the ball in his hands more with seven carries per game across those two contests. So, yeah, I think it actually is a good streaming week, a great streaming week, actually, for Winston. Now, who the who the fallout is, like which players you pair with him, that's another question entirely that hopefully Kyle has an answer to because I certainly do not. No, no. Daigle looked at me as if, uh, you know, I unmuted my mic waiting to jump in the conversation. Don't bring me in. Don't bring me in. <laughs> I was I was jumping in to just say Jameis also, despite his number one receiver essentially being Alvin Kamara, especially more recently. Like Alvin Kamara's when he had like his first zero catch game earlier in the year, maybe his, his second one with Taysom Hill. But he's still throwing it deep. I would guess his, his targets just look like a barbell. They're either Alvin Kamara targets or he just <laughs> goes deep. Next Gen Stats has him third in the NFL in average depth of target intended air yards per target. So he's still that, I don't want to say volatile, just that high upside per pass attempt, Jameis Winston, Marcus Callaway. I don't know. This is a, a complete mess, especially reintroducing Traquan Smith and only muddied the waters more. And it's not like Kenny Stills disappeared either. He was on the field at least a little bit. I wanted to see any sort of clarity. And no, I, you know, Daigle threw me the hardest question of the night. Now, all I can give you is <laughs> Jameis Winston still hucks it. To me, that, but even all of his receivers fit that mold. Kenny Stills, Marcus Callaway, and Traquan Smith are all the deep burner types. I would go Marquez Callaway just having the most experience on the team uh, most recently. That is, you know, yeah. I don't have a solid answer. None of these guys are safe. Kamara getting all the targets is essentially the answer. Like, that's where yeah. the ball goes. Even Stills almost caught a deep bomb. Like, it's just, like, impossible to predict what's going on in the same. And, yeah, I didn't know if anyone would follow me down Narrative Street, you know, especially after we just saw the Bucks uh, face a turnover-prone quarterback and force five turnovers against him. But I think you guys laid it out well. I mean, the Saints, they're just not going to have a choice. They're gonna. That's just what you have to do against the Bucks. Like Crane said, they've already done it when called upon in a similar situation earlier this year. So I think Jameis will get cut loose. I think he will be a streamer. Uh, on the other side of the ball, Antonio Brown sounds like he's going to miss another game. Gronk, it sounds like, is finally coming back from his 114 broken ribs. Uh, I'll ask. I'll throw Kyle an easier one. Are we just? Is Gronk just back where we found him before he got hurt? Like that tight end, like four to eight range kind of depending on the matchup depending on the setup that week or do we need to fade him a bit just not knowing what his health is you know the Bucks offense has evolved while he's out where do we find Gronk this week yeah, to give a little update on AB, that I think Arians earlier earlier today when we we're recording this said that he doesn't know when he'll be back. They asked him like, "Could he eye like a week ten? He's like, he's, he's just not sure. So he's I, that sounds like he's definitely out this week and definitely uh, at least like multi week injury it seems. And that's perfect for Gronk. That is ideally what he comes back to is not just being. Uh, you know, we talked about earlier last week him maybe coming back to this limited more red zone style role and easing in. I don't think they really have that choice. I think he essentially plays their number three receiver as soon as he's back and healthy. So Gronk coming back even to a limited role, good touchdown upside. You don't need much to be a tight end one. I kind of project him to immediately come into that high efficiency, reasonable target share role we saw early in the season, like late last season. So yeah, top like top five tight end probably because he's got some of the highest touchdown upside, but still really good yardage upside playing on a super pass heavy, efficient offense. I would play him, for instance, over Tunyon, if that's your choice, yeah. if, yeah. if Gronk was dropped yeah, anywhere. Sure. Uh, to go the Bucks pass catchers, to go back down Narrative Street, I'll just be on Narrative Street today. Do we have any Mike Evans concern pricing a lot of Marshawn Lattimore? You know, Marshawn Lattimore's been in the whole game Monday night, like hand fighting with DK Metcalf. And, you know, DK Metcalf, besides that 84-yard touchdown, didn't really do a whole lot uh, against the Saints <laughs> secondary. But... So yeah, do we have do we have any Marshawn Lattimore concern for Mike Evans, Daigle Crane? Who wants it? 
Besides, besides, like going the entire field and beating LeSean. Besides that, Mrs. DK Metcalf didn't do anything. Um, No, I mean it's very simple. Like the target share was Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, and that's what it comes down to. Uh, Both of them hoarded 21 of the team's 38 overall targets. Uh, I will say Tyler Johnson did work. He did have a high usage behind the scenes with 30 routes compared to Godwin's 36 and Evans' 33. But overall, like you still have to earn targets, and that has gone to Godwin and Evans. Whereas Gronk, I also expect to come back and sprinkle in, at least in the red zone. But I'm still very much trusting those two and hard to trust the others. Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal, I guess, but I would rather have Lattimore on Evans than Antonio Brown playing. Like I think that it, that matters more, that the, the offense is going to condense in terms of the target share. That's going to be pretty beneficial. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way to put it. That's a really good way to put a bow on this game. Is next we have two teams kind of beginning to separate themselves from the pack in the AFC South, which isn't really that hard to do. Uh, with the Colts hosting the Titans as one point home underdogs, both quarterbacks have been the story lately, playing well after slow starts. But Kyle Carson Wentz is the one I'm really wondering about. Just multi touchdowns and many games in a row, like a good showing. Uh, in the driving rainstorm in San Francisco, I got about 2,000 yards of defensive pass interference penalties. Just, where do you think Wentz is headed? And is he is he in the QB1 streamer mix now? Yeah, QB1 feels a little generous, just the way the NFL is trending with quarterbacks who can average like 40 yards per game on the ground. Like four, four Rain them, made probably. a face, like a sickened <laughs> face. Just yeah, the I idea. was sickened. Yeah. <laughs> like I think Carson Wentz is playing well. He's probably playing playing his best football in two or so years since he was, you know, oh, you might say not, decades. No, two or so decades. <laughs> no, two two or so years since he was kind of at that post peak level, but still good in Philly. His offensive line is playing well, and he's well well removed from the dreaded double ankle sprain. But he he still doesn't, you know, the team still can in any given game lean on the run, especially when they have a lead, especially when there's, uh, you know, the bomb cyclone or whatever they called it. Uh, But no, I think because he doesn't have a ton of rushing upside, because his team still has a really good, really efficient rushing attack, it's hard to call him anything more than like a top 15. I think he's a streamer, but probably in any given week, not a priority streamer. The game does have a reasonably high total, though. So maybe this is a spot where he does start to enter. I don't want to call it priority, but maybe he inches closer to that, you know, 11, 12, 13 range. But in any given week, just I think he's a more limited upside because I don't see him throwing 50 times or topping 400 yards very often outside of like that Ravens style game. And he's not rushing for 50 or something. So he's uh, more of that high end QB two in the mix. If you're if your league mates were playing the waiver wire better than my league mates, maybe I did make a face, but I'll note that from weeks one through four, Wentz ranked 26th in play action rate, 30th in EPA per play playing terribly, both ankles sprained. They weren't running play action at all. Uh, they now He now leads the NFL in play action rate since week five. He's eighth in EPA per play. He's been much better. There's a reason for this. They're, they're actually running play action, which I, I'm not sure why they weren't. Maybe he was just so immobile they, they thought it wasn't worth trying to roll him out. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. But, like he was like a double ankle sprain. I can't remember the last time that happened, and he was very at risk of not playing. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's just trying to explain things that are unexplainable. But that's the best answer I have. This is a that, legendary injury. Sorry, Dagle. Just the, the the double ankle sprain. I mean, I just know how that's ever him. A baseball player will probably top that. You know, getting hurt, like bringing home groceries or something. But the double ankle sprain—that's hard to top. Sorry, Dagle. 
No, you're good. Uh, that's why it's a rematch from week two, technically, or week three, but also mm. not really since Wentz is at least at full health. And we've seen that we still don't take this Titans defense seriously, despite somehow limiting the Chiefs that can't get out of their own way to just 4.9 yards per play last week. But remember, three games prior to that, Zach Wilson, 297 yards, multiple touchdowns through the air. Trevor Lawrence, 273 yards, plus seven carries for a touchdown. And then Josh Allen, 353 yards and three touchdowns as well. And so I do think it's a, a great spot for Wentz, who has clearly fully healed and averaging over three carries per game since this game, the last time they played as well. So I like the over. Um, you know, if you can get it like still under 50 at a couple places, I, I think both it's a good matchup for both sides of the ball. Just real quick, I'm going to go around the horn, starting with Kyle, then Daigle and Crane. Are you starting? Would you rather start Ryan Tannehill or Carson Wentz this week, Kyle? Oh, uh, I will just take, I believe, Ryan Tannehill, uh, the rushing upside. I think they're similar quarterbacks. His passing volume could even be lower. But, uh, you know, we see he's consistently one of the, the higher rushing touchdown probability players. So I'll take what I think is a better rushing quarterback, even if I think he throws for fewer passing yards. It is still Tannehill for me. Mr. Patrick. Tannehill for me, too. Yeah, he's been he's been highly efficient, leads the league. Uh, in EPA per play since week five. I wish I could say, like, gotcha, and then I have Wentz higher, and this is why, but no, I have Tannehill one spot higher. But I do think it's very close. And, like, Tannehill has not had one of those, those blow-up games he had last year where he'd average, like, nine and a half yards per attempt, score a rushing touchdown, two passing touchdowns, but that could be coming any moment. And that could have been the Chiefs game if the Chiefs, like, yeah. mm-hmm. did anything at all because he was on pace for that like him and AJ yeah, Brown were just was. looking crazy in the first half and they just didn't they didn't have to put up a single point in the second half it didn't matter so had like of all games the Chiefs were the opponent who couldn't hang if the if the Colts turn into that opponent it, it, we can be in store for that exact type of game that three deep shots that all connect type of game it, w- it was only one game as well but still a season high in play action rate against the Chiefs so I wonder if this slowly starts helping that notion carry over. Uh, I wonder if just they did this backwards and establishing the run. Derrick Henry will always get involved, but establishing the run for the first month of the season and then like slowly picking up back to play action pace now that teams are terrified of Derrick Henry. That's an intriguing yeah, the play thought. action's been picking up overall too. It's not just mm-hmm. uh, last week. They, they've shown much more willingness to, to run play action, which I think is a really big deal. Also a low pre-snap motion over this. the past month too. They're getting with it. They're getting with the times. They're hip. Frank Wright's with it. Unless you're talking about the Titans. I can't. I don't even know what team you're talking about. No, I was talking, about, I was talking about the Titans. Yeah. I was no, talking about it, the Titans. I mean, they're the guy, you know, the the like the the plumber or whatever who replaced Arthur Smith. Yeah, I'm sure he's hip and with it, uh, whoever their offensive coordinator is. I forget. Was their old Titans Todd coach? Downing. Todd, Todd Downing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's actually been – he's been doing a much better job uh, since early in the season where – it looked like they had unlearned everything they had learned the past two years. Yeah, he's like slowly becoming Arthur Smith. Like first he was doing he some different stuff, and then like he started doing one thing like him, and then two weeks later another thing like him. No, it's kind of like a little brother. Like, like I don't want to be defined by my older brother's identity. I got to do my own thing. And you just find out, you know, the older brother is just really smart and knows everything, and that Mikey maybe should just do what I do. All right, and like you don't like, have to rebel against it for no reason. Is your your brother's name Mike? Your younger it, brother's name Mike? It is. I call my I call younger him Mike. brother's name is Mike. That, this is messed up. Pat and Mike, two Irish. Uh, say Pat two, Mike, yeah, two two Irish for What's these folks around here. Uh, we got questions on both pass catchers for the Colts and Titans, but you know, helping to fuel Carson Wentz's rise from Michael Pittman. He's all the way up to fifteenth in yardage, five hundred and twenty. 
mean, I, I don't know if this is kind of a boring question, but what is Michael Pittman, Kyle? A top what receiver? 18, 20, 24, 30? Where are we at with Michael Pittman? I hesitate to really push him into that like solid wide receiver two territory. He's only 23rd in weighted opportunity, although his volume has kind of steadily increased. And they don't really want to use somehow they I mean, Mo Ali Cox is awesome. He's he's giant and catches a ton of touchdowns, but somehow they still want to use Mo Ali Cox and more importantly, Zach Pascal as their end zone and red zone weapons. So that may that makes Michael Pittman kind of an afterthought in that area. And the numbers back it up. He's 38th in end zone targets. He's 29th in red zone targets. So because he's not an extremely high volume player, like I said, he's only 23rd and weighted opportunity that's good but it's on the fringe of wide receiver too and his touchdown opportunity is even worse i probably put him high-end wide receiver three i can't even honestly put him in you know if we have all of the no teams on by type of week i can't really even put him in that top 24 i do also think mo alley cox is somewhat here to stay pending ty hilton's injury we have to see what happens but we saw that last week the Colts ran a season high rate of 12 personnel, 45% of their plays, because they had Moelle Cox and Jack Doyle um, rather than trusting one of the other receivers full time between Ashton Doolin and Zach Pascal as their number two or in three wide sets. And so although Doyle has run 49 routes to Moelle Cox's 35 um, and over the last three games, and of course, uh, Allie Cox has 10 targets to Doyle's three in that span. More usage if T.Y. Hilton is out. I think it's guaranteed, actually. So I still like him as a streaming option if that is the case. Corrine, I'm going to go to you to put a bow on this game. Dare we touch the Julio Jones stove? Would you call him a buy low? Lawrence Jackson made a fairly compelling case for it on the podcast earlier this week. Titans are still such a narrow target tree. I mean, Julio will never be cheaper and like trade taught me, you're not going to have to give up a lot to get Julio Jones right now. Any Is there any chance that Julio Jones is a buy low in redraft fantasy? I, I think that he is. Uh, he's been targeted on 21% of his routes this season. That's pretty nice with an dot of 13.7. He's gotten 11.1 yards per target, which will regress. He's not going to be able to be that efficient. But kind of the idea that like Julio's done or something, I mean, there's no evidence of that other than that he's banged up, and that's that's always kind of a risk with Julio. But, um, you know, if he gets back to where he was at the beginning of the season in terms of his routes run, then Julio really could end up delivering as a buy low in a big way. Um, you know, and he, he did actually run decent numbers of routes early on, ran routes on 77% of dropbacks and 89% of dropbacks in week uh, weeks one and two. So it's not just kind of pure optimism to hope that he gets back to being a full-time player. Obviously, you know, he's not there yet. He wasn't there last week. They're kind of bringing him along as he recovers from this injury. But, you know, if they if they have him out there for, let's say, 80% of routes this week, at the rates that he's getting targeted, it is kind of deep threat usage. Antonio Brown, Antonio, A.J. Brown on the other side. Um, and, you know, maybe the Colts pushing them better than the Chiefs, which blows my mind, but but certainly possible. Then, you know, I think that he could have a big week. And A.J. Brown, obviously, still the alpha and having at least a 22% target share in every full game he's played this year. We will be right back. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. 
Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. NBC Sports is celebrating 100 days to the Winter Olympics on Thursday, October 28th. Top Americans Michaela Schifrin and Sean White will highlight nearly 3,000 athletes who are expected to compete from 95 different nations. The Winter Olympics begin February 3rd on NBC. We go from two teams kind of going north in the standings in the Colts and Titans to two clubs just going south in a big, big hurry the 49ers and the Bears, the 49ers come to Chicago as three and a half point favorites somehow. I mean, I guess I know why, um, but it strikes me as slightly odd. 39 and a half total. Getting under 40 is a pretty tough scene out there. Uh, Justin Fields' struggles are the dominant storyline. Crane, I know you have a field stab. I'll throw to Dagle first. I already read the answer to this question in your waiver wired column, but I feel like this is the big question for the Bears right now. Is Allen Robinson droppable? Absolutely. In a week that 18 of the top 50 wide receivers and fantasy points per game were either injured or on by, Allen Robinson finished as the wide receiver 69, not nice, by the way, on the entire week, and has yet to have a top 46 finish in any game this year as the Bears are third fewest in plays per game in the league, passing at the league's passing the league's second fewest pass attempts per game. So overall volume not there for the offense and passing attack. And thus that's what led Allen Robinson to have a season low 12.5% target share on Justin Fields' season high 32 pass attempts. He's a wide receiver five people are hanging around to on, even though there are better options most likely on your waiver wire. So you can check the waiver wire column. You can look around um, on the wire anyhow, but there is no need in my opinion to hang on to Robinson any longer. What would I tell you if uh, Denny agreed with this take? Would that make you feel better or worse? Terrible. And (laughs) I'm going to repeat a stat I said on the Tuesday podcast, but just we're focusing on how much Justin Fields is not helping Allen Robinson, but Allen Robinson is not helping Justin Fields either. He has the least separation in the league right now via next-gen stats. No receiver is separating less than Allen Robinson. I mean, you know, he's never been like the separation dynamo or whatever, but like you cannot be as highly paid as Allen Robinson. You cannot but, You cannot be the worst in the league. Like, no, yeah. Whether we think that stat matters or not, yeah. you cannot be the worst in it. I know exactly. that. Exactly. It might not be the most telling stat always, but it's pretty bad if you're last. So, uh, so then I'll go to you. Uh, we've talked about Allen Robinson Crane. Sorry if you guys had burning Allen Robinson takes, but Crane is Justin Fields no longer streamable after what can only be termed as a complete debacle against the Bucks. Yeah. So 
He's seventh in quarterback rushing yards since he took over in week three as the starter. But 93% of those yards have come on scrambles. That's uh, that's the stat of the week that, that you referenced earlier. 93%. They're just, they refuse to use him at all on anything designed. And they're 19th in play action rate, or Fields is, which is also not great. I mean, it's not like basement dweller, but it's still, I mean, he should be like second or third, right? I mean, so the way they're using him does, I think, make him not streamable right now. I think you could kind of hold on to him in deeper leagues and hope that he becomes streamable. But at this point, uh, I don't want him in my lineup. Were we wrong that Justin Fields not even a dual threat? It's like the thing with Fields at Ohio State was that he made big plays with his legs. Like he's very much capable of making big plays with his legs, but he was always pass first. Um, He was not like a true dual threat, just like running all over the yard. And he has the skill set to do that, but maybe – or, or we just maybe he's just not a dual threat. Like that's never going to be his mentality. He can't just like take a pass play and just start running. Like he's got he's <laughs> the play calls for him to pass, and then he's scrambling when he can. I mean, with ninety three percent of his his yards coming through scrambles, he's still seventh in quarterback yards. So I, I mean, and we've seen we've all seen him. We know he can run. Like I, I think it's just a classic case of they're not using him right. And like Mitch Trubisky might actually be good. Like in Mitch Trubisky's <laughs> second stop, he might be good because the way they're using. Fields is such a disaster. I just, I mean, we, we're never going to know how good Fields is with this type of usage. And it's possible he's not good. But the usage is still an absolute disaster and it's a travesty. Yeah. The, we went from I, laughing at Trubisky annually to now saying Trubisky actually dragged the Bears to the playoffs twice while he was there. It's such a strange. Yeah, I, I think, though, like Fields ran a four or five. He's like as running back. Speed. I'm not saying he he has a dual threat skill set, but I just wonder if he doesn't have like a dual threat mentality. He was always such a good passer. He didn't need he made the big plays with his legs in the Big Ten, but like he didn't need to. It was like a luxury. Maybe I'm just maybe it'll be hard for him to reset it, that. Mentality. If Fields is nixing all the running plays uh, in the game plan every week because he's got a passing a mentality, then I'm sorry, Matt Nagy. That I owe you an apology. Yeah, but otherwise, this is this is Nagy's fault. I just think it's very clearly a lost year in his development and we have to move on entirely knowing that the power struggle is still happening between Nagy and Bill Lazor and it's not going to change as their offense like the run game setting up play action or vice versa uh, 13 personnel where they run to the strong side or go play action to hide that jumbo package like none of it makes sense and none of it is simpatico in what they're doing and so I'm not out on Justin Fields at all but I am out on this offense and his development this year. All three of us, Pat, Daigle, and I are all over the age of 30, and we all big-brothered Kyle, who had something to say on Justin Fields. Sorry, what were you going to say, Kyle? Uh, I don't remember. I think it was just that Matt Nagy is not doing him any favors, right? You know, you guys talk about it. I need to reiterate the stats. They're treating him like he's Andy Dalton, and they're throwing him to the wolves. And on top of that, like, he's not playing well. It's obvious that, like, he is a quarterback who, at this point in his development— needs to be helped like he's pffs i believe they're before last before last week he was their lowest graded passer and like their second lowest adjusted completion percentage i'm guessing those numbers weren't helped by last week so he's a guy who needs every benefit he can get like pat said his his play action rate they should be trying to like it seems like his coach doesn't believe that play action he's like that's something used to prop up quarterbacks no it's just how you make offenses good and the same with like pre-snap motion stuff like that designed runs for a quarterback who runs a four or five his coach is treating him like he's andy dalton and that is the exact opposite of what they need to be doing because he is struggling as, as a passer they need to basically sort of coddle him in a way that makes uh, masks his bad plays and instead they're exposing him almost on purpose 
Yeah, it is getting to the point of total negligence. Uh, Daigle on the other side of the ball, the 49ers. Where is the value in this 49ers offense besides Debo Samuel? Is there anyone we can count on? In fan- I mean, I get Elijah Mitchell, of course, I guess. But just give us the lay of the land of the 49ers skill core behind Debo Samuel and I guess Elijah Mitchell. That's exactly it. It's just Debo Samuel. Uh, George Kittle, it sounds like Kyle Shanahan said, fortunately, will be back next week. But even among their tight ends, at least Ross Dwelly previously had a stranglehold of being the de facto receiving threat whenever George Kittle was previously out. And this past game, they actually ran him just 13 routes, Dwelly, to Charlie Warner's eight. So not even a backup tight end we can count on. We've also seen Brandon Ayuk, despite being second on the team in routes run the past three games in particular, significantly over Mohamed Sanu and Trent Sherfield. Ayuk still has just 16 targets on the year, which is many as Dante Pettis in two games with the Giants, uh, Deontay Harris, Marquez Valdez-Scaling, who's been on IR for four weeks, and Tyler Johnson, who has been a backup receiver. So I didn't put Ayuk in the drop list just yet, but he's not a player I'm trusting whatsoever anymore. Um, and so there genuinely is outside of the backfield, like you said, no other value on this team. Uh, the backfield, at least, we saw come to fruition exactly what we thought. We now have six full quarters without Raheem Mostert that Elijah Mitchell and Jabaka Hasty has been at full health. And Hasty this past week handled 100% of the team's backfield targets, all six of them, and has 10 carries or 10 touches to Elijah Mitchell's 25 in those six quarters. Trey Sermon, no touches, and in particular, no snaps this past week. That's just the way it is until Jeff Wilson returns reportedly in late November, and we'll go from there. Another not nice 69 number here for Brandon Ayuk, 69% of dropbacks. He ran a route last week, and that actually brought down his route rate for the season coming out of the bye, the exact opposite of what we were hoping for. Maybe they'd kind of get him back in the mix. That was not the case. 5% target per route run last week. He had a 4% target share last week. It's like appallingly bad usage for Ayuk. I actually do think you can drop him if you want. Yeah, just, yeah, as we all knew, Trey Sermon, Brandon Ayuk wouldn't even be rosterable in August. We were trying to tell everyone this, you know, don't roster Trey Sermon, don't roster Brandon Ayuk. No, we didn't say that at all. We I also think this, this is an idea first brought up by a late round QB, JG Zacharyson. I put it in the waiver column. If you have a quarterback, you're in a deeper league, you're playing um, that we may expect to get benched down the road. Uh, Sam Darnold, Jalen Hurts, like Trey Lance, that's still where you're adding him in those leagues, thinking that by the time the 49ers could are potentially mathematically eliminated in four or five weeks, like that's when Trey Lance starts. And thus, that's probably when the other guys are getting benched anyhow, um, as they are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs as well. So that's kind of the way I'm handling Lance, but not necessary to keep him since it's very clear that Jimmy Garoppolo, for whatever reason, is going to continue playing. You're ignoring a fundamental truth. Kyle Shanahan traded up for Trey Lance, thereby Kyle Shanahan hates Trey Lance. The, uh, that's just, the that's car keys just, need to be taken away. It's, that's it's just Kyle, that's just Shanny's process. You got to trust Shanny's process. He really does. Then, he's like, going to be back playing over him next year. He's like, I don't like this guy in the draft. I'm going to trade it for him so I can be the one to put him on the bench. Like he's yeah. done that multiple times. Yeah. In game, so weekly game planning, it's all good. Uh, the personnel decisions have got to be taken away from the man at the top. No, it's it's just abundantly, abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is abundantly clear with this next game. It's the Seahawks hosting the Jaguars as three point home favorites. I guess that makes sense. I the Seahawks, yeah. I mean, I don't. What do we say about this game? <laughs> like uh, the Jags won their first game for their Week Seven bye. Kyle, are they coming back to America after triumphing in London and getting Lavisca Chenault? 
more involved, or is it just Marvin Jones season? That, that, that's how it began this game. Is it Marvin Jones or LaVisca Chenault? Who should we have ranked the highest of, amongst the Jags wide receivers? I think it's probably a toss-up. I will side with who I think is a uber-talented young player in LaVisca oh Chenault, and his usage has come up. Like The important thing is that he's not uh, like... <laughs> Are, are we just total dead enders? Because I, mean, I have LaVisca ranked higher. Are we just like dead enders? Like, I'll make the case well, for Jones, unfortunately. Okay, you go, Kyle, you make the Visca case. not burn at all. Kyle, make the Visca <laughs> case, then Crane, make the Jones case. Look, his usage actually looks like a real receiver in recent weeks. In the past three weeks, which is largely a time frame without DJ Chark, he's up to an 8.7 ADOT. That is what a real receiver looks like, not a two-point whatever ADOT. The only concern is that he's only playing about three-quarters of the team snaps, which ideally, given that his backup is like a kick returner, he should probably be playing every snap. We're still not seeing that, but it hasn't really affected his target share, which is basically paralleling Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones with a higher ADOT does have a higher air yard share, but you're going to get LaVisca Chenault racking up yards after the catch, which he's out yards after the catching uh, Marvin Jones, like 86 to 17 or something in, in the past three weeks. So I think their usage looks similar, and I'm going to go with who I think is probably more talented, but the usage of him is still not at uh, exactly where we want it to be. But it's better, is the thing. It's much better. Yeah, Kyle mentioned the higher air yard share. It's it's higher. It's not just a little higher. It's a lot higher. 32% air yard share for Marvin Jones, uh, 16% for LaVisca Chenault. So well, at least, it's at least in double difference. digits. I was worried you were going to say like 9% or something. <laughs> I should have just said 3% and see <laughs> yeah. if you guys bought it. Nothing um, would have surprised me. <laughs> I would have bought it. I yeah, so bought that, it. that's obviously going to make a big difference. And then you also have the route run discrepancy where Marvin Jones has run a route on 91% of dropbacks. Chenault's at 77%. When Shark went out, we thought maybe he would get to the full-time level. He hasn't quite. So you also have in the bye week, you know, this could be the time where they take the talented young players' usage to another level. And instead, they're talking about Jamal Agnew. So as much as I would love for LaVisca Chanel to break out of the bye week, and I'll probably be in a position to be starting him in high-stakes leagues and hoping that he does, I think kind of objectively, you'd have to say you'd rather start Marvin Jones this week. I will make the case for Jamal Agnew. After Urban Meyer called him the team's literal, quote, best separator oh. on Monday. Um, so we should expect an increased role. In the past two games without DJ Shark, Agnew has played in the slot, and that's where he's registered nine of his 12 targets in that span for a 19% target share, with LaVisca Chenault being pushed to the boundary as the team's ex-receiver um, needing to beat man-on-man coverage as an island guy. Uh, we've also seen Agnew's routes rate, route rate increase in those two games, 67% and then 74%, as he actually has been taking away from Dan Arnold in that span, which is why we've seen Dan Arnold's targets come down as well. And so overall, I, I do genuinely think Agnew is a high floor option, but uh, do we really want to be trying to squeeze three Jags wide receivers into our lineups? And, and now Patrick Darty will make the case for Tavon Austin, I believe is what we have scheduled. No, I was going to say, you guys are focusing on the wrong position and wide receiver and tight end. So Dan Arnold, okay, listen. I mean, so he had two two targets in his uh, Jags, short week Jags debut. Well, Thursday night, whatever. It's kind of a miracle he even got two targets. Then he had eight targets in his second game. It did come down to five in his third. But that's 13 targets for Dan Arnold over his past two games. Coming off this big win in England, folks. London town is Jaguar City. And just is Dan Arnold... Is, do we have any confidence in Dan? Is his arrow rising up? Is it down? Is it just totally horizontal? What What's the deal with Dan Arnold? Anybody have any good Dan Arnold data? He ran a route on 61% of dropbacks in week six, down from 79%. That's a little concerning. And I do wonder if, if Jamal Agnew's coming He was jet-lagged. Up, 
Yeah, he could have been Jedi. That's true. Um, <laughs> he's he's moved around a lot. Um, but I think Jamal Agnew's rise would be maybe a problem for Dan Arnold because it's kind of like a slot receiver role essentially. So uh, I would say he's his arrows pointing slightly down, but um, you know he's certainly a decent kind of streaming fill-in option. I also like the over overall in this game. If you can still get it around 43 or 43 and a half, uh, both defenses we know are not respectable whatsoever. More importantly, Lawrence was playing really well before the bye. Um, 66% completion rate, 8.1 yards per attempt and nearly six scrambles per game. In his last three starts, the Seahawks are permitting and facing a league high 72 plays per game. And we also knew they're, we know they're due for regression since they rank eighth overall with 28, two sacks, but are just, have the sixth lowest pressure rate in the entire league. And so uh, I like Lawrence and the Jaguars offense in this spot, actually. Yeah, I feel like it might be artificially low, too, based on like the weather Monday night. And Geno Smith, I mean, didn't really look like an NFL starting quarterback, but it was kind of a bad setup. And yeah, 43 and a half felt light to me, I'll we, say. for the We also saw like weather games really, um, you know, I know the Saints and Seattle game under, but Really, that was more about a poor play and poor play calling as both coaches then decided to run. They didn't have to. And it was funny on Sunday night in particular, too, because Carson Wentz was blowing up the 49ers. And then every time Garoppolo threw the ball, it was a disaster. But they just said, oh, yeah, the wind, like the rain is getting in Garoppolo's way. It's like Carson Wentz is doing just fine on the other end. Like this is not the rain spot that Garoppolo's balls look like ducks. We did get a patented. Uh, I liked the Chris Consworth. As soon as the ball left Jimmy's hands in that last interception, he just, you know, the ball wasn't even halfway to its intended target yet. And he just said, oops. And it was one of the worst throws you'll ever see in the NFL. And you're right. It did only seem to be a problem for Jimmy and not Carson. Exactly. In that rainstorm. Dago along the Allen Robinson lines. I mean, so Allen Robinson, or this, this receiver is very thankful Allen Robinson is out there. And his name is Tyler Lockett. Uh, he was struggling even before Russell Wilson's injury. He has 17 catches for 159 yards and five games since week one. And I don't hear anyone saying we should be dropping Tyler Lockett because we shouldn't be. But is he is he still startable? Or is, is Tyler Lockett just totally mothballed until uh, Russell Wilson comes back? Well, the only reason he's startable or the only reason we're not dropping him is because we're waiting on Russell Wilson to return. We still don't have a hard timeline for him. Uh, but overall, no, this is this is an absolute disaster in the worst case scenario, because even his usage doesn't matter behind the scenes since it's still Geno Smith. We've seen DK Metcalf's target share decrease from 28% to 21% with Geno. We've seen Tyler Lockett's decrease from 20, 25% with Russ to 20% with Geno. And again, Geno Smith targets are not Russell Wilson targets. So basically we have to double discount all of them and not like an Aaron Rodgers double discount, like a actual like bad targets double discount for both receivers. Um, so no, we can't trust Tyler Lockett at all. I've been looking, for instance, in my high stakes leagues to start like a fringe RB2, RB3 over Lockett because I think 12 touches is better than what Lockett's going to offer me. Here's the quarterbacks that Geno Smith has been better than this season in EPA per play. <laughs> Davis Mills, Justin Fields, Jared Goff, and Zach Wilson. Yeah. And not only is that disgusting, but Seattle just had a minus 10% pass rate over expected against the Saints. The Saints were supposed to be a pass funnel. So they're getting a pass funnel this week, but Pete Carroll just does not care. He's going to he's gonna run the ball nonstop, try to hide Geno. So you're getting it kind of on both sides. You're getting terrible targets, as Daigle pointed out, and then you're getting way less overall passing volume from the offense. I'll tell you what, I, I tweeted this. Josh Norris used to always love it when I would cite one of my own tweets, but 
Like you think there are some good sack takers in this modern game, and then you get Geno Smith goes out there and really shows you how it's done, how you take a sack in the National Football League. This guy takes sacks better than any quarterback I've ever seen in my life. He is just the goat-getting-sacked quarterback. We've had three consecutive primetimes game where Geno Smith has had the ball in the last drive. And uh, it's just like, and I know the announcers, they're paid to build it up, but like, what do you think's going to happen when Geno Smith has the ball in the last drive? And the same thing has happened in all three games. I don't know. I don't know who Justin Fields has modeled his game after, but like, I can take a guess. Geno Smith out there leading the way for the Justin Fields sack taking barrage. (laughs) Does anyone put a bow in this game, have any thoughts on the Seahawks backfield? Or just Alex Collins brick walling? Is that where we're at? Alex Collins seems like that guy Daigle was talking about, that RB2-3, where he's like, I'll take 14 touches for 33 yards over Lockett. <laughs> and silence. No one wants to talk about Rashad. No one wants to say the words Rashad and Penny back-to-back. Well, yeah, that's fair. It, that's fair. It was. I mean, it was just, we just saw, you know, Alex Collins yet again. A lot of it came in the second half, but... Still, just to handle twenty or seventeen of the team's twenty-four backfield touches, um, Rashad Penny got six all carries, whereas Travis Homer had just one carry, and DJ Dallas not involved at all. Um, it's going to be Alex Collins, like that's the hierarchy above everyone else for as long as Chris Carson remains out. I still think Rashad Penny's a fine deep league pickup. Since then, I would assume he gets carries, and they would also involve DJ Dallas and Travis Homer to an extent if that were the case. But until that time, it's just Alex Collins as like poor man's Najee Harris, just getting all the touches and then um, hope he scores. Just hope he gets in there one time. It is the Jags allow a decent amount of rushing volume, but not, they don't allow good rushing efficiency. So it's not a great matchup for Alex. Collins. It's a great matchup from a volume perspective, but would not be expecting many Alex Collins, big plays. I mean, not that anyone listening to the show is like, wow, I thought Alex Collins would make a bunch of big plays. Uh, thanks, Pat. And, for- and there's just no, there's no tempo involved at all. Like uh, Pete Carroll, even if like if they played the Bucks, he'd still run the ball. Uh, oh, yeah. The Seahawks are averaging a league low in place per game for a reason, and that's not going to change. We'll I think right. he might be happy Russ is out, so he can finally run the ball. He is. His secret. This is this is his dream. Now he has an alibi finally. Um, so yeah, this is his dream. This is gonna be his blaze of glory. He's probably gonna retire. This will be his proudest moment. The second half of this season where they go two and six and average 40 rushes per game. He's going to be very happy. Uh, We'll be right back for our final game. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. 
Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you are eyeing up on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the promo code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. That is GOOD10 for 10% off NBC Sports Edge Plus. The NFL season is in full swing, and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered with Sunday Night 7. Predict what will happen between the Cowboys and Vikings on Sunday Night Football for a chance to win up to $100,000. It is free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. I mean, I wish we had a better game to end on. This is like the third or fourth week in a row where it's like every game is bad. And uh, it's the football team going to Denver. You know, that classic interconference rivalry. Uh, the Broncos are getting three points at home. Really, the only big story here is the return of Jerry Judy, who's playing for the first time since suffering a high ankle sprain in week one. I think we're confident that Judy will kind of immediately supplant Tim Patrick as the Broncos' number two crane, but how high How high are we talking? In fan- how high is too high for Jerry Judy in redraft weekly rankings? I don't know. He strikes me as kind of like a, a like top 30 option, but probably not a top 24 option. Um I mean, he he had a 29% target per route run uh, in his limited playing time this year, which is really high, 11.7 A dot. So, not just like total underneath stuff. Even though he is a slot receiver, running 79% of his snaps uh, are in the slot. So, Judy was looking great from a, a volume perspective. But uh, we do have Cortland Sutton here as kind of the established number one guy. My hope is that Judy is able to improve this offense overall because we're starting to get. Teddy Bridgewater looking pretty shaky, uh, 17th in EPA per play for the season, uh, trending in the wrong direction. But Locke was 31st last year. Uh, we do not want Drew Locke. We want to prevent Drew Locke from starting no matter what. And it's the I only thing that matters for the rest it, of the NFL season. Like, truly. <laughs> so, I mean, we've got to watch and cover these games, guys. We, we need Jerry Judy <laughs> we have to... We uh, I mean... To, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we need uh, Jerry Judy to, to improve the efficiency of this offense overall. And I actually think that if he you know, is kind of the guy he was prior to going down with the injury, then that'll be a net positive for Sutton um, because it'll keep Bridgewater as the quarterback and it'll kind of help them get more first downs, help them score more points. So I think if you've got like three, four options in an offense, it can be nice to condense it down to two or three, but we really only have Sutton right now. So I think actually adding Judy is, is going to be good for him. And we don't really don't have evidence of them overlapping with Bridgewater just yet since Sutton's lowest target share did come in week one. But remember, that's when he was eased back in. Um, we didn't see him become the downfield threat until they forced it in in week two when he was back at full health after that. So I would like to see how they overlap, especially since Judy ran a majority of his routes from the slot and that would likely leave Tim Patrick on the field, uh, Judy doing that in week one. But I also think it's a good matchup to stream Teddy Bridgewater if need be. Washington has allowed three or more passing touchdowns in four of their last five games, and also the last four quarterbacks that faced him have finished inside the top 12 at their position. Uh, We know they're still getting an immense amount of pressure, but also their secondary still remains one of the worst in adjusted fantasy points. So overall, I think it is a very good uh, defense to attack for opposing offenses. Are we worried about Cortland Sutton at all with Jerry Judy's return? He's had two 10 target games as past three contests or even in this like run first offense with a narrow target tree. Is it, is it big enough for the two of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, Kyle? 
Yeah, I think you probably see. I don't think he finishes the the season top three in air yard share, which is where he's at right now. But that's not that's not that big of a deal if the offense gets better. And if Teddy Bridgewater stays under center, I think what you see is more that Tim Patrick probably entirely disappears. Tim Patrick's had a pretty reasonable role. He's got a 17 percent target share, 21 percent air yard share. I think what you hope and what is probably most likely is that he takes the Tim Patrick role and maybe he takes a little bit of that Cortland Sutton being the entirety of the passing offense role. But that's OK, because having Jerry Judy you replace Tim Patrick, who's a good receiver in his own right, but Jerry Judy could be a complete stud. Having him replace Tim Patrick overall improves the offense, and it essentially evens out for Cortland Sutton, who becomes more of a top 10 air yard share, which is still very good, and his air yards are more valuable because he's not the only focal point of the offense. When is this the year Tim Patrick finally gets traded? He kind of gets talked about every year as like a guy who deserves a bigger role. Like Tim Patrick would have 200 yards on Thursday night football tomorrow if, if he had managed to avoid getting the, the coronavirus in that Packers receiver room. And I, I kind of would like to see him in a more functional offense. I feel like he deserves better. Troy maybe said he thought he might be their best wide receiver. So <laughs> Troy Troy has said some wild stuff. He I think he didn't he say Richard in, Richie Incognito was better, better than Larry Allen. I mean the Zoomers don't know who Larry Allen is, but he said a few things over the years. Uh, you know it's Thursday night football. You got you got some air to fill. Uh, so but things happen. Uh, what, well, the other side of the ball, what are we clinging to with Antonio Gibson, folks? Uh, 2022 baby Antonio Gibson 2022 is when it all comes together because at this point like we have half of a season telling us that JD McKissick is not going away Antonio Gibson is like uh, he's Chris Carson I want to say he's Josh Jacobs but Josh Jacobs has two fewer targets while playing in like four and a half games essentially he exited before halftime last week so uh, 2022. Or, or the fact that he's a, a middling RB2, right? The fact that he's got 14.7 carries per game and two catches per game over the past three weeks. Those are the weeks that we should be concerned about because he's really been dealing with the shin issue. I believe when they played the Chiefs, he didn't even finish the game. He missed the fourth quarter. If you're going to get that, I mean, that's still 16.7 touches per game. That's that's not a bad role, right? That's just not, uh, as Karain kind of talked about in the offseason, we thought he could be sort of the the fantasy league winner. And instead, he's that sort of kills you just by existing, where you play him and get these <laughs> low-end RB2 numbers, where like that's the opportunity cost of that is what the real issue is. So that's where I see him, an RB2 that you are probably not actively recognizing as hurting your team, but what you passed up on is what hurts you. Yeah, I I wrote the upside and downside scenarios for for the running backs this offseason. And the downside scenario for Gibson was Josh Jacobs. I believe Kyle just called him a poor man's Josh Jacobs, so it's a tough scene. When uh, Crane and I showed up to do the fight pod, and I picked CEH over Gibson, uh, little did we know we were both losing at the time. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm still right. <laughs> like, which one of these guys are going to post RB4 no numbers? Way. Absolutely not. <laughs> I think you'd rather have Gibson. I don't think so. No, oh, you would dear. not. <laughs> it's been bad, dude. <laughs> That's what I have a I have a couple of bets on Gibson points per game, and like the more he plays, the more excited I get because his points per game yeah. only dips. It's just for me only, yeah, they keep going down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Do we? Do uh, we have any? I will say with them down. struggling though, with Gibson injured, uh, Jarrett Patterson still only totaled three snaps the past two weeks. It is very clear that if Gibson were injured the lion's share of touches would go to J.D. McKissick, who does have a double-digit target share now in four consecutive games. And Jarrett Patterson would only be sprinkled in primarily. So J.D. McKissick still, like, honestly, it's crazy to say, but like a league-winning stash. I agree with that. Yeah, Jarrett, man, we, we're, yeah, we're, all, we're all waiting. We're all counting on you. Do we, do we have any thoughts on this Washington passing? I mean, 
Terry McLaurin didn't practice with a new injury. Maybe, well, I, I saw – was it his hamstring or his ankle? Because I saw him listed with the ankle in some places, his hamstring in some place. Do we know what's going on there or no? I believe, it was, I believe it was ankle. Uh, like, he's a guy who – I don't – he'll never practice another Wednesday in his life and he'll probably play most of those games. Like, a lot of – like, a lot of – especially receivers with these, like, soft tissue injuries, uh, they just, like, they just don't practice. Actually, Gibson logged his first Wednesday practice. It was limited. He logged his first Wednesday practice in, like, over a month. Uh, not sure that really says much at this point, but no, that, like unless Terry McLaurin is not practicing on Friday, and even then, I'm still probably okay. What, if he's active, you're playing Terry McLaurin. I got a hot take. Give it to us. I, when Logan Thomas gets back, Ricky Seals Jones could keep starting over him. I actually agree I, with that. I, I was, was going to say, you, you found the room that finds this take probably the least hot. I mean, Denny is doing everything he can through back channels to convince the football team. You know, just, you know, you guys are going through like bad, a lot of bad press right now. Engender some goodwill. Keep Ricky Seals-Jones in the starting lineup. Do the right thing. I don't think he'll start over him, but uh, I do think we see them go to Eagles-like 12 personnel, knowing that they don't have a second receiver behind Terry McLaurin, mm-hmm. and so they have no choice but to keep Logan Thomas and RSJ on the field. It's also I don't weird think for they will start him, but I think they they should. It's also just weird for a team to play for sure. It's not necessary to play a tight end every snap. Like I feel like it's not a good idea. Like why 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 unless it's like Gronk, why are you having a hundred percent snap tight end like Logan Tide? It doesn't never really made sense. Now they're doing the same thing with RSJ. Uh, I feel like you're just like begging for an injury at such a rugged position. But anyways, I digress. Any any final thoughts on this game? Any final thoughts on anything other than just counting down for Jerry? Man, we are so fickle, man. Antonio Gibson, you know, is like he's like the Wonder Boy in the summer, and now we're like, oh, just Jared Patterson. I mean, they're keeping Jared Patterson just locked up, man. This isn't fair. This isn't right. Um, we're very, very fickle people. To Pat's point about this slate of games, like as we're talking through, maybe this is the week, you know, to to hit the orchard because I was actually. <laughs> I was disappointed that you didn't include the Bengals Jets on this rundown. So that just gives you an idea of. of where I we're stared at. at it, but I mean, isn't the spread like two touchdowns? I, I've already got like two two touchdown <laughs> spread games to on this receivers. slate. I couldn't add a third two touchdown spread <laughs> game. So. That was um, that was last week. Last week's slate of games. Goodness gracious! Like I should have gone apple picking. That was <laughs> so, terrible. Hey, take the folks, take the friend, you know, this go trick or treating with your kids, you know, find out, you know, do, you, do I have kids? If you do, then take them trick or treating. Um, so yeah. Also, uh, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, still no difference. Nothing's happening. They're still just putting time. <laughs> There's still oh, a big yeah, difference in terms that. of the actual player. The actual yeah. player is quite different. That's, that's but... your update. Nothing's happening. Forgot about the Broncos running game. I guess we should have said something about that. Uh, yeah, Javante the Williams is good. That's what it is. That's all the time we have today. We've, we all have become the Joker. It's almost the halfway point of the NFL season. Uh, check out the rest of the games tomorrow with Mr. Matt Strout coming in, swapping out. Uh, who, who do we swap out for Denny? Uh, oh, it's both of you. Kyle and Crane are gone on Thursdays. Denny oh, arrives with John, Matt, and I. And, yeah, come check it out. We'll preview the rest of this week's slate. Check out uh, Daigle's waiver Wired. Check out Crane's walkthrough on Friday. Check out the ranks on Thursday. Check out Kyle uh, filling in for my Q&A session on Friday. And, yeah, thanks for reading the site. What's thanks happening? For- Diddy's gone. Pat's like we're falling apart at the yeah, halfway we're point. Apart. We're falling apart. I'm um, not gone. I'm the only one who's still here, <laughs> to be clear. I'm not gone. I'm here. I'm just doing other it's things. Fall, it's I'm it's fall break, and I agreed to go to an aquarium with my family, if you really must know, on Friday. Why does that um, have to be a, a fall break thing? You know you, it's open other times. It's a good point. It's a very, very good point, Kyle. Uh, anyway, I got to end the show. For these three uh, monsters, I'm Pat. Catch you later. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.